Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We are going to get into the Word. We have uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 coming up. And so um, this is one of those chapters that many people are excited to read. It's always exciting to read about um, David and, of course, Goliath. And so uh, before we get started, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And I personally thank you for the opportunity to stand before your people and, and break the bread of the word with them. And so I pray for the gift of teaching, Lord, that ability to rightly divide your word of truth. And I pray for a timely word, Lord, that people will hear what you will have them to hear right here and right now, Father. You know exactly what they need to know, what they need to hear, what they've been praying for, what they're going through. And so I pray for that timely word, Lord, in their lives and that when they leave this place, or when they turn off that computer, if they're watching online or, or that uh, cell phone or tablet, I pray that they'll leave better uh, than they were when they started viewing or when they walked into this building. To you be the glory, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like I said, we're in First Samuel chapter 17, and of course we do have a title, and the title is Slaying Giants. Slaying Giants. So today, of course, this is, as I mentioned, one of the most recognizable stories in the Bible. And speaking of the battle between David and the giant Goliath, and it's so popular that even many people who are not Christians, who are not well-versed in the scriptures, they even make some type of reference to this story, this story about David, the future king of Israel, from this point of the text, and this giant. And so they make a reference to it. Some make a reference to it in in sports, for example, when you have an underdog in sports, whether it's boxing or whether it's a football game or a basketball game, they make a reference to it when the underdog beats the favorite. And myself, I'm a I like the Los Angeles Lakers. Don't throw anything at me for saying that, but, but I do. And, and there was a time in the early 2000s where uh, Kobe and Shaq were together, and then they added an a, a older Carl Malone and Gary Payton, and they were supposed to win those finals. And they came up against a Detroit Pistons team that had Chauncey Billups and Richard Hamilton and Ben Wallace and these guys that you didn't really know that well, and they upset the Los Angeles Lakers. And so some people would consider that to be a sort of David and Goliath story. And so even many people, like I said, who are not well versed in the Bible, nor are they Christians, they would bring up David and Goliath in these underdog stories. But then, of course, as we read 1 Samuel 17, there are some spiritual applications that we can and will glean because we're on a mission. We're on a, we have a goal, of course, to reach our full potential in Christ, which is the main goal of this study in the book of 1 Samuel. We want to reach 
our full potential in Christ. So we want to see, once again, what kind of spiritual nuggets we can glean from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, in the first three verses of this chapter, we see that the Philistines' army was, they were gathered at a place uh, named Soko in, in Judah's territory. And they, they camped between Soko and Azekah in a place called Ephes Damim. And Saul and the Israelite army, they encamped in the valley of Elah, which is southwest of Jerusalem. And the text tells us that the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and the Israelite army stood on another hill or mountain on the opposite side. But there was this valley between them, this valley of Elah. The scriptures also tell us if you continue that the Philistines had a champion and their champion was named Goliath. And that term champion, by the way, refers to one who fights alone. He single-handedly represents the nation that he's a part of. And so Goliath, this big dude, was their champion. And, and Pastor Darrell, how big was Goliath? Well, Goliath was nine feet tall and he was nine inches tall. So nine feet, nine inches tall. And this giant of a man, he wore a bronze helmet. Not only that, but he wore bronze armor that weighed about 125 pounds. And on top of that, he wore bronze protectors on his shins and he had a bronze javelin between his shoulders. The scriptures tell us that the wooden part of the larger spear was like a weaver's rod or beam and, and the iron blade that was attached to it or the spearhead that was attached to it was about 15 pounds. Now, this big guy who was fully dressed in armor pretty much, and he had these impressive weapons. On top of that, he had an officer or this armor bearer who carried his shield in front of him as if he needed a shield. And so he was intimidating. Now, as we pick up in verse 8, it said, then he stood, so Goliath stood, and he cried out to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? He says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. So I'm the champion of the Philistines. Choose your champion. You know, that's him speaking to the Israelite army. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And in verse 10, it says, and the Philistine said, I defy, I dare or challenge the armies of Israel this day. And he says, give me a man, find your champion that we may fight together. And so this giant of a man, Goliath, he issued a challenge, as we see here, to the Israelites, to their army. And in this challenge, you find out that according to him, or at least this was his proposal, he said that the war will be settled on a one-on-one -on -one battle basis between him and an Israelite representative. And so based on this challenge, we see what he thought about himself and his people as, and as well as what he thought about the Israelite people. So in other words, he 
thought that he and his people were superior to the Israelite, to their army. And it's the same way with our enemy. And I'm speaking of our spiritual enemy, the devil or Satan. It's the same way with him because he would like for us as believers to think that we are inferior to him or that he's superior to us. And just like how Goliath tried to intimidate and did intimidate the Israelites, Satan would like to intimidate us. And unfortunately, he does that to many believers. He does that to many of the saints, intimidates the saints, making us think that he is superior to us. But in verse 11, it says that when Saul, and of course, this is the king, he and all Israel, when they heard these words of the Philistine, when they heard Goliath's words, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. And so whatever courage they had, they were, they were greatly afraid. That courage at this point was gone when they heard Goliath's challenge. You see the Israelites and King Saul, and remember, King Saul was a big man himself because the scriptures tell us that he was head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. But he and the people, the army, they were caught up in the size of this man. They were caught up in the size of Goliath. Another way of saying that is that they were caught up in the size of their challenge. And I just want to share something with us. And, and what I want to share with all of us is that the size of our challenges in our lives will change. Those sizes, they're going to vary. However, the size of our God does not change and will not change. And what do I mean by the size of our God? I mean that our God is always going to be eternal. Our God is always going to be omnipresent. Our God is always going to be omnipotent. He is always going to be almighty. And with the God that we serve, he he will always be able to do the impossible, at least that which is impossible for man. And so when I speak of size, I'm using it in a metaphorical way here. What I'm saying is that the power of our God, the ability of our God does not change, even though the complexity and the size of our challenge, they're going to change. They're going to vary as we go through life. Now in verses 12 through 14, what you see here is that we are reintroduced to David and some of his brothers. We're reminded that David was the eighth and youngest son of a man named Jesse. And this man named Jesse was an Ephrathite who is from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. That is from the tribe of Judah. And once again, he had three uh, older sons. And these three older sons that are named in or referred to in the study are Eliab and Abinadab and uh, a brother named Shama, and these three older sons of Jesse, they followed Saul to the war and they remained with him. But in verse 15, as we pick up our reading, it said, but David occasionally went and it says he returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. 
see, David couldn't stay the entire time in Saul's camp. Neither could he stay the entire time in the palace to play music for King Saul. Because remember in, in chapter 16, he played music for Saul because, because Saul was experiencing some type of mental or emotional issues due to a distressing spirit that the Lord sent or that the Lord allowed to come into his life because Saul, this King Saul, was disobedient to the Lord. So, yes, once again, David would play music for him. And as David would play music for him, then, then, then King Saul, his, whatever he was going through mentally or emotionally, I mean, it would go away and he would be refreshed. And so this young man, David, he didn't stay with him the entire time. He would go back and forth from Saul. He went to Saul, and then he'll go home to Bethlehem. And he would go to Bethlehem because he had to help his father, who the scriptures tell us was advanced in years. And it's just a fancier way of saying that his father was old at this point. So he was advanced in years. And so David had to go back and forth from King Saul to Bethlehem to help out his dad. And so what we see here is that David had some responsibilities to take care of. And even for us as Christians, as believers, we have responsibilities, of course, and commitments at work and in our communities and and we're engaged in ministry and in outreaches so we have various responsibilities and commitments in these various areas of our lives but just like David did in this lesson here we need to make sure that we don't neglect our responsibilities at home because especially for husbands our first responsibility our first ministry is at home Are we pouring into our wives? Pouring what? Pouring the word of God into our wives and into our children. Are we raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And so we need to take care of the responsibilities at home. And and yes, we need to work. And yes, there's some things we signed up for and some responsibilities, like I said, in our communities. And yes, some of us have different things that we are a part of. but, But are we taking care of our main responsibilities? And so we can learn a lesson from David here, from this young teenager. And in verse 16, it says, In the Philistine, referring to Goliath, he, he drew near and he presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. He kept presenting himself, issuing this challenge to the Israelite army and to Saul. And I wonder tonight, why did Goliath keep presenting himself for, for 40 days in issuing this challenge to Israel. Why did he keep doing that? Well, the obvious answer would be is that nobody wanted to take on the challenge. Nobody stepped up to challenge Goliath. And so he kept coming out 40 days, morning and evening, putting them down, issuing a challenge to the Israelites. But then you have this same principle or question that could be asked in the church about taking on challenges. Because we can ask, how come no one took on that challenge and faced Goliath? We can ask the question about home and church. The question we could ask is, why do things remain undone at home and at church? 
Why do the same people have to step up in church and keep volunteering? How come we don't see new faces or even at home? Remember the kids, you, when you're kids, you, you have some chores to do. And some of the kids try to go to sleep before they have to do the chores. So they won't have to do them that night. But oh, in somebody's household, in the Logan household, somebody's getting woke up. We're waking somebody up. You're not getting out of this. And even if they happen to get out of it for that night, it's going to be waiting there for them the next day. And so some things remain undone at home or at church because nobody wants to take on the challenge. Oh, we're so blessed here at Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek. We do have many volunteers here. But overall, at, at most churches, it's, it's usually the same small group of people. No one wants to take on the challenge. Just like we see here in the text, nobody wanted to take on the giant. Now in verses 17 through 19, we see that Jesse sent David on an errand to take his brother some grain and bread. And he took 10 cheeses to his brother's field commander. And he also went on the errand sent by his father to see how his brothers were doing, those three older brothers were doing, and to bring back a report to his father. Now in verse 20, it says, so David rose early in the morning. He was obedient to his father. He went on that errand and he left the sheep with the keeper. And he took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array. They, they drawn up in, in battle formation, in other words, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. He ran to the army and he came and he greeted his brothers. And then it says, as he talked with his brothers, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. He had the same taunt. But this time, the teenage David heard them. And, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and they were dreadfully afraid. They were terrified of Goliath. And so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to challenge Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house or family exemption from taxes in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach or disgrace from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should challenge the armies of the living God? And so the men in the Israelite army we see here, they were focused, of course, on Goliath's physical appearance. But let David come into the picture. Because David wasn't focused on Goliath's immense size or his, his hugeness, if you will. But, but, but David found a weakness. He found a weakness. He mentioned the fact that 
that this Philistine, that, that Goliath was uncircumcised and, and, and to him that was a weakness because what David was getting at is that Goliath, he's physically big and he's intimidating and he has all this armor and all these weapons on him and this, and this guy in front of him with this big shield. But, but, but Goliath lacks a covenant relationship with the Lord. So you see that that physical circumcision was an outward sign of the Israelites' covenant relationship with the, with the God of the Bible. And so David understood that this guy doesn't have a relationship with the true and the living God. So what is this uncircumcised Philistine talking about? Who, who does he think he is to defy the armies of the living God? And he doesn't have a relationship with this God. So, so in other words, he's saying that Goliath, as big as he is, as intimidating as he is, he is already at a disadvantage. I see weakness, David says. And you know, as big and as bad as the devil is, our spiritual enemy is, as, as immense as the enemy's army is, because we are in the spiritual battle. There are many fallen angels. We don't know how many, but the devil persuaded a third of God's angels to, to fall and to, and to rebel against the God of heaven. And so there's many in the devil's armies, and as big and as bad and as intimidating as the enemy could be, guess what? They are not in a relationship with the living God. And those demons, they cannot change their minds. They made their decision once and for all. And so where they're going to end up is hell. It is sealed. They're going to end up, in other words, in, in Gehenna. That's the Greek word Jesus used behind the word hell. And it's a, ref- a reference to that lake of fire that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. That's where they're going to end up. They do not have a relationship with the living God. So already, yes, the devil and those demons are spiritual entities and and they're evil and they've been around longer than we have and they have chances to study humanity for thousands of years and they know what bait to use and tempting us into sin. They, They know all of these things. But the enemy is yet and still at at a disadvantage because he doesn't have a relationship with God just like Goliath did not. And David picked up on that. And the people in verse 27, they answered him in this manner saying, and they answered David because remember David is going around saying, so what's going to be done for the person who defeats this giant? And so somebody else confirmed the same thing and they said, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. And now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when, when David spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why, why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And in other words, you shouldn't be here. Go watch the sheep like you always do. And he says, I know your pride. I know your arrogance and the insolence of your heart. I know you have a wicked heart. And that's the way he's speaking to his younger brother. And he said, for you have come down to see the battle. You just came down here, in other words, because you just want to see a fight. And David, in verse 29, said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? In other words, he's saying, "I I was only asking a question. And then he turned from him. He turned from his brother. And he went, he turned towards another person. And he said the same thing. 
In other words, uh, David wanted to know. He asked somebody else, so, so what's going to be done for the person who defeats this giant? And so you already know what's going through David's head. He's thinking about taking on this challenge. And these people, they answered him as the first ones did. And now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And Saul sent for David. Then David said to Saul, to King Saul, let no man's heart fail. Don't, don't let anybody's heart be discouraged because of Goliath. He says, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So finally, we see in this text here, we see in this narrative, someone was willing to step up and take on this giant. A teenager was able to step up or wanted to step up and face Goliath. He was willing to do what everyone else was afraid to do. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. He's been fighting longer than you've been alive, David. You can't go against him. You can't win in a fight against Goliath. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard or fur. Or I caught it by its jaw, some translations say. And, and I struck that lion or I struck and killed that bear. Your servant, you see, has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, this Philistine who has no relationship with the true and the living God, with the God of the Bible, he's just, he's going to be just like one of those lions or bears that I've killed in the fields. Why? Because he has defied, he has challenged the armies of the living God. And moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. See, David was dismissive of Saul's word. He didn't pay attention to what Saul said. See, Saul was trying to pour fear into him. He was trying to pour discouragement into David. He was trying to so-called bring David down to reality. But thank God, David was dismissive to those words. Those words that were meant to deter him from fighting Goliath. And like King David, and I call him King David because that's, he's going to be the next king to take over from Saul. What we learn from him is that we need to ignore those discouraging words. We need to learn how to ignore those put downs that are meant to deter us from what God has put within us to do. There are some things that we know that God has called us to do. And there are some people who's telling us, no, you're too young for that. You're too old for that. You're too weak for that. You're not educated enough to do that job. You don't have enough money. You don't have the transportation to do that. You, you think you heard the voice of God speaking into your life. But, but maybe that was your voice. Just, try, just you trying to encourage yourself to, to do something awesome. And maybe that 
that really wasn't God. So you need to bring it down a level. You need to calm down a bit. You need to sit down somewhere. You need to give up on that dream. You need to give up on that ministry. You need to give up on that goal. I I know you're in a situation where you're having marital issues and the marital issues are huge and and the problems are tough to solve and, and you'll be going years and months and trying to solve those marital issues and some people are trying to tell you, well, you need to give up on that marriage. That, that marriage issue that you're going through is too huge for you. You're not big enough. You're not experienced enough to fight against that. There's, the doors have been closed. You need to just give up. And so we need to ignore those discouraging words. We need to ignore those put downs just like David here in this instance when Saul tried to discourage him from fighting. Be, because, just because, just because someone else cannot see you winning doesn't mean that you can't win. Just because someone else can't see you being successful or successful doesn't mean you won't be successful. It's all about what God says. What has God told you? What has God shown you? It's not about what man says. See, and one thing we see in these scriptures towards the end is that Saul eventually became convinced and he was probably even relieved that someone was willing to fight Goliath. Because Saul is, like I said, he's, he's the tallest person in Israel. And Eliab, David's oldest brother, he wasn't short himself. He was pretty tall as well. And so Saul is like, okay, go ahead. The Lord be with you. And so he was relieved. You see, he picked up on what David said about the Lord delivering him from the lion and bear. And he just figured, okay, go ahead. Let's see what happens. And he used that religious language. The Lord be with you. And so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head in verse 38. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to King Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. And so David took off Saul's armor. And so, of course, it's clear that the armor Saul was used to wearing and what David was used to wearing are different. But the armor wasn't the only difference between Saul and David. See, more importantly, their hearts for God were different. See, Saul has shown that he did not have a heart that was committed to the Lord. We see that in his disobedience. But David, as the scriptures tell us, is a man after God's own heart. So the difference between uh, Saul and David go beyond the armor that they wear, but it's in their hearts. And it's the same thing for us as believers when it comes to a person who has not put their faith in Christ. There's a notable or noticeable difference in our hearts as well. And so by the way we live, we want to demonstrate that we have a heart for the Lord. Because the world doesn't have that heart. They, they can't make that heart up. 
And when I speak of the heart, I'm speaking of the, the, the core of a person's being. And so in verse 40, it says, then he took his shepherd's staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook or stream and he put them in his shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. You know, in the Elah Valley, because remember, this is where they were. There are plenty of smooth stones in the stream bed of this valley. In fact, we had an opportunity in, in 2017 to go to Israel, and we actually went to this valley of Elah where David fought Goliath, and, and we saw the stream bed. It was at that point dry, and yes, there were a lot of stones. There's plenty of stones there. And so one thing about the stones, these smooth stones that people wonder and speculate about is, is why did David choose five? And one reason could be that uh, Goliath had four brothers. And so, and so some say that, that, that maybe he chose five stones just in case he had to fight Goliath and his brothers. And, and that's, a good, that's a good thought, but we don't know for sure. And so if somebody wants to argue about that, I'm not going to go back and forth with you. But, but that's what some people believe in, in regard to why he chose five stones. But one thing I want you to notice as well was that when, when David got ready for battle, he was equipped or he equipped himself with his, with his shepherd's gear. So he didn't look like, like he belonged in the army. He looked more like a shepherd because he had this leather bag and this leather bag was used by shepherds and travelers to carry provisions. And he had a staff which could also be used as a weapon to ward off the wild animals from the sheep or the flock he was watching. And then, of course, he had a sling that was used to ward off wild animals from the flock or from the sheep. And also, he would use it to keep the sheep from straying. And so he looked more like a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And so he didn't try to be someone else when he went into battle. He went out like himself. And so the Philistine came and, and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before Goliath. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He looked down on him, in other words, with disgust. For David was only a youth, ruddy. And good looking. And so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because that's because he saw David with this staff in his hand. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. Well, I've been talking about our spiritual enemy a lot. And I could see some parallels between Goliath and Satan. And so I keep bringing it up and I bring it up here because just like Goliath looked down on David and he had disdain for him, he had a look of disgust upon him. We too have that enemy, the devil who hates us and, and he, do, he does, wants, he wants to destroy us. Speaking of the devil, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes he, he, he does it in an obvious way and sometimes the enemy does his work in a more subtle way. 
And the more subtle way is to deceiving people into thinking, for example, that, that something is okay, that a certain lifestyle or sinful lifestyle is okay when it's clearly wrong. You see, he can't de- totally destroy a believer in the sense that he can't make a believer, a true believer, lose their salvation, but he can mess up their testimony. And so when a Christian tries to be the light and salt that they're supposed to be, well, the enemy could put that temptation in front of them and if the saint falls into that temptation, well, that could mess up the light. That's supposed to be emanating from the life of that believer. And so sometimes the enemy does his work in a subtle way, but, but notice he wants to destroy us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then David in verse 45, I should say, as we continue, he said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, with the spear, and with the javelin but i come to you in the name of the lord of hosts the god of the armies of israel whom you have defied whom you have taunted and david says in verse 46 this day the lord will deliver you into my hand and i will strike you and take your head from you and this day i will give the carcasses of the camp of the philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a god in israel and then all this assembly shall know that the lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the lord's and he will give you into our hands and so it was when the philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine and then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth and so David the scriptures tell us he prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took the sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You see, if David would have listened to Saul, he would have missed out on experiencing this victory. The Israelites would have missed out on David's victory and we would have missed out by being blessed by this experience that we're reading about that brings us so much encouragement and so the question tonight is what are we missing out on because we're listening to the doubts of people what have we missed out on because we listen to those discouraging remarks that come from people see because we're listening to people who are not looking at the situation through the lenses of faith. We're missing out on so many things that we can be experiencing from the Lord. See in verses 52 through 54 as we continue. You see that many of the Philistines were killed. After Goliath was killed. And the Israelites who were once afraid. Now they have become the aggressors. And they begin to to uh, go to the tents of those Philistines and to gather the spoils for themselves. They took their stuff, in other words, all because of this victory God had wrought through David. The scriptures tell us that David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem and he put his armor in his tent. And at the time of this story, by the way, Jerusalem was not under 
Israelite control. So, so maybe what it's saying is that David took Goliath's head there to intimidate the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem at that time. Or this verse, I believe it's verse 54, may be referring to an event that took place sometime after David had conquered the city. In verses 55 through 58, as we come to the end of the chapter, it says, And when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And so David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And so people are wondering, why does it seem that Saul does not know who David is when in chapter 16, you know, David appeared before him and played music for him? Well, there are a variety of explanations of why it appears that Saul does not know David. And one explanation is that David went back and forth between home and Saul and was present with Saul only when he was oppressed by the evil spirit. And so maybe Saul didn't, you know, there there was a time period where he didn't see him for a long time. So that could be an explanation of why it appears that Saul doesn't know him all of a sudden. Or it could be, number two, that, that David played his harp behind a screen or a curtain so that Saul didn't see his face. Or it could be, a third reason, that Saul wasn't in his right mind when that distressing spirit from the Lord bothered him. Okay, that could be a good reason. Or number four, maybe it's that David's appearance had changed or matured during the time he went back and forth from Saul to home. And then there's even some who think that 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23, where David played music before Saul, some people think that verse is misplaced. And so you have that explanation from some people. However, let's look at a careful reading of this text, because a careful reading of the text shows uh, that Saul asked the name of the family to which David belonged. He didn't necessarily ask who David was, but he, but he asked who is his son or whose son he is or what family does he belong to. And so it could be that he wanted to be sure about the family that David belonged to because remember, there were some rewards that were supposed to come to the person who defeated Goliath. And so we don't necessarily know. We, we have all those good reasons, but... There, there's some good reasons other than, oh, the scriptures are contradicting themselves because they're not. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. But, but one thing that's plain in this lesson tonight is that David defeated his giant. David defeated his giant Goliath. And, and tonight we come face to face with the question for us. And the question for us is, what is my giant? And I'm going to pose that question to you because I'm, I'm, I have the opportunity to share the word of God with you tonight. So what is your giant? And so what I'm asking is, what is that giant that is presenting itself morning and evening to you? 
Well, what is that giant in your life that is taunting you? What is that giant in your life that is challenging you? And so in the morning, in the noonday, and in the evening, this giant is always in your face. And so what is that giant? See, whatever that giant is, I I assure you that our giants, whatever that giant is in our life, it comes to us with the sword, it comes to us with the spear, and it comes to us with the javelin. And so what I'm saying is that our giant is not only big, but our giant is intimidating. And so maybe that giant for us is our health status. Maybe that giant for us is our job situation and and our job situation, our health status is always in our face and it's intimidating to us. And we, we hear about it and we feel it and we experience these tough situations morning, noon, and at night. Or maybe it's the cultural climate or the political climate to you. Maybe that is your giant that is bothering you, that is all in your face and it's intimidating you or maybe it's for some of you your past or maybe your past is that giant and it's intimidating and and you're afraid that that past is going to catch up to you it it's almost like that past has a sword spear and javelin and, and maybe even an armor bearer in front with that big shield and it's so scary and you're terrified of your past you're terrified of your health situation you're terrified of your status at work you're terrified of that challenge you're facing in your marriage or relationship but nevertheless it is a giant And so I won't leave you in that place where I ask you what your giant is and say, okay, you can go home, deal with it. No, we're going to talk about how to defeat our giants and we're going to go quickly because we have a few minutes here. So the first way to defeat our giants and we're taking this from the text is to remember your past victories just like David did. You see, David passed victories. It gave him experience to fight his giant of Today, he, he, he defeated the lions and the bears that were trying to rip apart the flock, the flock of sheep. And so that's step number one. Well, I shouldn't say step number one, but point number one, because I don't see these in any particular order. But remember the past victories. Another point is to not use ineffective armor or weapons. See, David didn't use Saul's armor. He said it didn't fit. I couldn't, I can't walk around in this. I never tested this before. It's not tried and proven. I'm not used to what you're wearing, Saul. And and so we shouldn't use weapons or armor that don't fit us. And what are the weapons and what are the, what is the the armor that, that don't fit us? Well, the armor and the weapons of the world, the cults and other religions, those those things don't fit us. They're not going to help us to be victorious. See, David said, I can't walk with this. And so it's the same for us when we try to take principles from other cults and, and other religions and from the world. Guess what? We can't walk with that. We can't live by those principles. We can't be victorious trying to implement those principles. But we also learn from David to be prepared. We learn to be prepared. 
another point in defeating our giants. You see, he didn't take one smooth stone. Oh, it says he took five. He only needed one, but he took five. And so how does that apply to us? It applies to us by not just knowing one verse in the Bible, but not just knowing something somebody says that sounds spiritual, but, but how about this? How about reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation as our, our senior pastor teaches us and encourages us to do almost on a weekly basis? So be prepared. Know the word of God. Meditate upon the word of God. Be prepared. But also make sure that you fight as a representative of the Lord. You see, David didn't fight in his own name. He came to Goliath in the name of the Lord as the Lord's representative. And so now you see David's motive. David wasn't about himself. This isn't about making my name great. No, I am a representative of the Lord and I fight in his name. And so whatever we're facing, whatever giant that that is in front of us, Oh, we fight that battle. We, we fight in this spiritual warfare against the spiritual enemy. Oh, we fight it as a representative of the Lord in the name of the Lord. But another point that demonstrates to us how to defeat our giants is to know who fights for us. Oh, King David, he was well acquainted with who fought for him. See, in verse 46, he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. So know who is really doing the fighting. You see that one stone that he slung at Goliath and it sunk into his forehead. Oh, it had the force of God behind it. It was effective because God was with him. Because I believe God guided that stone to land where it landed. So know that the Lord fights for you. And then number six, we need to recognize that it's the Lord's battle. That it's not our battle. It, it is the Lord's battle. But before we get to point number seven and how to defeat our giants, I just want to let you know that there does seem to be a parallel between this young man, David, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And speaking of Jesus Christ, I want to share with you that this Jesus that I'm talking about, the Jesus of the Bible, not only has a parallel or some type of parallel figure with, with King David here, but he's actually a, a physical descendant of David, or he's a descendant of David according to his humanity. In fact, it could also be said that Jesus is the one who is greater than David. And this David, this, this Jesus that I'm talking about, the greater than David that I'm talking about, he, he didn't just defeat a physical giant in Goliath. Well, the, the, the Savior that I'm talking about, the king, so to speak, that I'm talking about is, is the king that defeated the main giants of humanity. 
You see, Jesus defeated our Goliath of sin. Jesus defeated our Goliath of death. And Jesus defeated the devil. And, and not only did, did Jesus defeat the enemy, but he used the enemy's weapon just like King David used Goliath's weapon to chop off his head. So, Pastor Darrell, what are you talking about that Jesus used Satan's weapon against him when he defeated him, when he defeated that giant? You see, by Jesus, because of Jesus uh, and him using the enemy's weapon, the weapon, remember, that he used was death. Because Hebrews uh, chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 tells us that inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So, so, Pastor Darrell, can you clear that up, please? What I'm saying is that Jesus used a tool that Satan was using, and that tool was death. Satan used to use the tool of death to intimidate people and to keep people in bondage because of that fear of death. But Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the grave for our justification. But because Jesus, through death, defeated the enemy, what he also did was took whatever weapon that Satan used. He took it away from him. And now because of that victory that Jesus had against Satan by using his own weapon of intimidation, guess what? We get the benefits of Jesus's victory over the enemy. We get the benefit of Jesus's victory over sin. We get the benefit of Jesus's victory over death, that weapon that Satan used. And so all of the blessings that are in Christ are, are made available to us because of his victory. Just like the, the, the Israelites, they were able to go into the Philistines' tents and, and take their spoils. They were able to take their stuff because of David's victory over Goliath. And, and so we're able to partake of the blessings of grace. We're able to partake of the blessings of mercy. We're able to partake of the blessings of forgiveness. We're able to take uh, partake of so many blessings all because of this victory that, that Christ has won on the behalf of humanity. And not only that, but the victory that he won or the victory that Jesus experienced makes our victory against our other giants, whatever those giants may be, it makes our, our victory against those other giants, it makes them very possible. So, so maybe you have a giant of flesh. Maybe you have a struggle against your flesh. Or, or maybe you have a struggle with fear and fear is your giant tonight. Or, or maybe for some of you, you're saved, but you have this giant of condemnation. You still feel that guilt. You, you feel like, oh, I'm going to hell, even though you are saved because you just don't believe that a God will love you that much or will forgive you of that much sin. And so you are intimidated about that giant of condemnation. But because of that victory that Jesus won on behalf of humanity, when, when I put my faith in Jesus, I am no longer condemned. And so that giant of condemnation for me is dead. That giant of fear for me is dead because of Jesus's victory over death, over, over hell, over sin, over the devil. I don't have to fear death. 
death because now death just becomes a door for me to enter into eternity and spend that eternity with my father. And so because of his victory, it makes my victory against my giants possible. And so that brings us to number seven. And number seven is that if you want that victory, guess what? You need to make sure that you are in a relationship with that living God. Make sure you're in a relationship with him. So if you're not a believer tonight, as Matt takes the stage, I I would encourage you to repent and put your faith in Christ. And you will begin to experience the victory that Jesus won over the enemy, over sin, over death. But maybe, Pastor Darrell, you're saying, I, I am a believer. But I haven't been walking in a close fellowship with him. At least not recently. But I would encourage you to get in closer fellowship with Jesus. Because some of us wonder, well, I put my faith in Christ, but I don't feel like I'm winning. Well, how close is your fellowship with him? And, and I list this point. And I shared this point with you to to make sure you're in a relationship with the living God. Because to be aligned with Jesus, to be aligned with God, if, if victory were a course, being aligned with Jesus and have a relationship with God the Father would be victory 101. There is no victory without a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Well, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us to read and study this chapter. Lord, we pray for victory over our giants, over those areas in our lives that have plagued us over the things in our lives that worry us. Draw us nearer to you, Lord. For when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. It tells us in the book of James. So bless my brothers and sisters as they leave this place. Give them victory. Bless them, use them, open doors of ministry and witnessing for them that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for your attentiveness with this very, very long chapter. Now pray like I did at the beginning, that you would leave this place more encouraged than you came in. And if you need prayer, feel free to come up for prayer. We're so honored and blessed that you would even ask us. Amen? Amen. If you're able to stand, please stand as we give glory to our God. God bless you and we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. 
If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.